I had reworked in there. Oh, I got it. I'm good. good. Y'all can have a seat. We are yelling. Um, real quick, a couple things before we jump into the message this morning. There is a kids area over there, and if your kids want to hang out over there, if they want to do it, that's fine. They don't. They can stay right here. They can run wild. They can scream and yell. Whatever. Whatever. We just are happy that y'all are here. We're happy that the kids are here. And I want to say this as well, y'all. This is God. All week long, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. There's a thousand percent chance of rain, and there's an eight hundred percent chance of rain, and then. Yesterday isn't going to rain, and it kind of held off a little bit. There's a big green blob moving across the country, and, you know, it was going to, like, a 10 o'clock last night, it was going to be torrential. Um, and and we, we're, my wife and I are going to sleep last night, about 10 o'clock, no, excuse me, about midnight, she said. We, we, what are we going to do if it rains tomorrow at 10 o'clock? Like, I don't know. I'm putting some zinc oxide on my nose. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I said, but we'll deal with that when it happens, if it happens. And, and I said, how about if we pray that when we get up in the morning, that it'll either be a 10% chance of rain or a 90% chance of rain. We make a you know rational decision. And, you know, we had kind of said we're doing it if it was less than 50%. But when I got we said 10% or 90%. When I got up about 5.15, I looked at my phone, and it was 9%. 9%. So it's like God said, I know you asked for 10, but I'm going to see your 10 and raise you one. Or d deduct one. I don't know. Something like that. The point is, every single year, y'all, in the life of this church, except last year when it was so sunny that my bald head got just cooked, every single year it is the same thing. So, like, that ought to build all of our trust and our faith in the Lord up. He's kind of got this. And it's beautiful. It's not even all that sunny. Um, I want to do one more thing. Y'all, we had a young man last year, seven years old, and on Easter, he got saved. And if you were here, you remember that we baptized him in the horse trough over there by the cross. You only hear that in the South. We baptized him in the horse trough over by the cross. And so anyway, it is it. You know what? I should be doing this then. Let me repeat what I just said. We had a young man last year. Y'all act like this is the first time I've said it. Last year, his name's Brentley, and he got saved last Easter, and we baptized him in the horse trough by the cross. Well, today is his birthday, and he's in Pennsylvania, and he, they can't be here. And so what I want to do on the count of three, I want y'all to scream happy birthday. And, you know, when people say that, do you scream on the three or do you scream after the three? Okay, we're going to scream after the three. So I'm going to say one, two, three, and I want y'all to say happy birthday, Brentley. You good? You ready? One, two, three. Awesome. I'm going to text that to him. Super later. I'll text it to him later. Anyway, y'all, it is Resurrection Day. What a beautiful day and the songs that we've sung and worshiped to so far. I mean, awesome. Focusing on Christ. Focusing on Him. And truth, reality is, Every day is Resurrection Day at the end of the day. Um, today's just this day that for many, many years that we've celebrated. But I believe every day we wake up, we should be celebrating that he is risen. We should be celebrating that that tomb is empty and it is still empty. Um, you know, most pastors across really probably across the world 
On Easter, they're going to preach in one of the Gospels. Matthew, if you're new to church stuff, if you're new to the Bible, the, the, the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are four kind of histories, biographies of Jesus, theological histories, but they're kind of a stories of his life from four different perspectives. And most of the time, pastors are going to preach uh, on Easter. They're going to preach out of one of the Gospels. Well, I ain't going to do that. Um, I like to do stuff that everybody else doesn't do. And I felt really moved on Monday this week to head somewhere else in the in the scriptures. And I went ahead to one of Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, uh, again, if you're new to church stuff, Paul wrote, you know, almost all of the New Testament. Most of what Paul wrote are letters. And I want to head to one of those letters. But I want to give us a little bit of a chronology that leads up to this. And so I'll do that probably in 45 seconds. You know, you had somewhere around 30 to 33 A.D., you had Jesus hung on a cross, beaten, mercilessly beaten for hours, hung on a cross, dies on the cross, goes into a tomb, walks out alive. So you got the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And then for some time, probably a year or two after that, the book of Acts tells us, and, and, and Luke, Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts, he tells us that Paul is persecuting Christ followers. He's persecuting people who have, who have accepted the salvation that he offers. It even says in Acts chapter 8 that, that Paul was ravaging the church and he's dragging people out of their houses and arresting them and throwing them into jail and, and getting them killed. And then probably about A.D. 35 or 36, Paul meets the risen Christ on the way to Damascus on this road that's called the Damascus Road. It's recorded in Acts chapter 9. He meets the risen Christ, and Paul is just radically saved on that road. And then he spends three years in, uh, in the Bible calls it Arabia. And then he returns after those two or three years to Damascus, and he preaches the risen Christ. Paul preached the risen Christ. Paul didn't preach a bunch of theology. Paul preached the dead guy went in that tomb, and the live guy came out. And he preaches that over and over and over to anybody that would listen. And then he flees Damascus because of persecution, and he visits Jerusalem, and he meets with Jesus' guys, the apostles. And no doubt that, that he and, and the apostles, they share their Jesus stories uh, with each other, and then Paul, they send Paul off to Tarsus, which is where he was born. And for eight to ten years, Paul preaches in and around Tarsus, and he's planting churches, and he's doing stuff, and he's preaching again. He's preaching the risen Christ. And then sometime around... Uh, 50 A.D. or thereabouts, on his second missionary journey, the scriptures call that his second missionary journey, he plants a church in a place called Corinth. He's there in Corinth for about a year and a half. And Acts chapter 18 says that he, he reasoned, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and, and Greeks. Trying to persuade about. The dead guy went in the grave and the live guy came out. And so he's there for about a year and a half doing that, constantly over and over. And then a couple of years later, Paul is in a place called Ephesus. And he writes a letter from Ephesus back to Corinth. We know that letter is 1 Corinthians. Matter of fact, he writes 1 and 2 Corinthians from there. And he, so he's writing that, that letter, 1 Corinthians, back to this church that he planted. And he wrote the letter because the church had gotten jacked up. The church was, was believing some crazy stuff, and they were acting kind of crazy. And Paul says, he, he gets wind of it, and he says, 
I gotta, I gotta refocus these people back and forth. And so he writes uh, this letter, and th like these two letters that he writes, First and Second Corinthians, they were written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, kind of way before, way before, probably ten years before. So he writes this letter before the Gospels are written. So it shouldn't surprise us that the single longest chapter in Paul's letters is 1 Corinthians 15, and the laser focus of 1 Corinthians 15 is Jesus' resurrection. Total laser focus in 1 Corinthians 15. And I believe that this, uh, this is the oldest written account of a thorough, clear presentation of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, of course, we know that there was an oral tradition of that first Easter weekend that jumped right out of the gates. Of course it did. Of course it did. The men and women that, that were following Christ were talking, and they were talking immediately. They're telling each other. They're telling their mom and daddy that Jesus went in, in the grave dead, and he comes out alive. So, of course, but it's all oral. It had not been written down. The Gospel of John in chapter 20 tells us that Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. She said, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. It happened for real. He really came out of that grave alive. So we know, y'all, that there's this trustworthy oral tr uh, a transmission of, of the account of, of Christ. We have a record of, of Peter's sermon, the Apostle Peter, at Pentecost. Pentecost was just several weeks after uh, Jesus is raised. And that sermon is in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to jump into that in a little bit, but Luke didn't write Acts until most scholars would say 10 or so years even after 1 Corinthians. And we're going to look a little bit in Acts 2 in a second. So Paul is the first one that lays out the gospel crystal clear, and 1 Corinthians 15 is it. Y'all, the truth, the truth never, ever loses its power. Remember, Paul spent a year and a half constantly preaching the truth about Jesus in court. Preaching the risen Christ to those people. And so the truth never loses its power, but sometimes me and you and them, we can, we can like lose our grip a little bit on the truth. That church again in court was struggling. They were believing some crazy stuff and their struggles made it clear to Paul that he needed to bring their focus back to the center. He needed to, to bring their focus back to the to the core. So in chapter 15, he, he's kind of bringing this letter to a close, and he, he's got some really strong words about the resurrection. These folks were wandering off, and he's calling them back to the center. So I would tell you this, like, like those folks in Corinth, me and you cannot afford to stray from Christ. We cannot afford to have disagreements and arguments about stuff that's outside of the gospel. The grave is empty. Jesus conquered death. We just sang four songs about that. We have unity around that. But they were starting to struggle. And the reality is, is that every single claim about Christianity is rooted in the resurrection. It's rooted and founded and grounded in the resurrection. What we believe about life and what we believe about the afterlife depends on what Jesus did with death. Do you really believe what Scripture says that he did with death? And so 
God's word here in 1 Corinthians 15, it calls us back to the center. I believe our country and the world needs to be called back to the center. we got to stop letting the devil drag us off into arguments about stuff that's not essential. The empty grave is essential, right? So 1 Corinthians 15, let me, let me, let me read you the first couple of verses. Again, Paul writing from Ephesus back to these folks. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And by the way, you've got to worship God in this passage. Well, the gospel message that Paul preached to them, that they received, the one in which they had kind of taken their stand in, they got girded in that. That's the message that saved him. And Paul wanted to remind them of the gospel. Because apparently you had some false teachers that were twisting it. And you know, usually it just gets twisted a little bit. Because if the devil can get you off just a hair, a year from now you'll be off like that. In two years you'll be off like that. And so Paul's pulling them back to get the line back straight. Some of them had come to believe in Corinth that there was no resurrection. That there would be no resurrection. That it did just didn't really didn't happen. And so as a guy who had himself seen the risen Christ, Paul's taking these, these folks back to the message that they welcomed and the message that they received and the message that saved them. And he encourages them to hold fast to that, to, to, to cling to that message. For us, our friends, our family, you're sitting here, you're watching this, whatever. For those of us that say yes to that, that to that gospel, we got to cling to that, y'all. We got to cling to it. Whether we're in the middle of really good times or if we're in the middle of really dark, rough, tough times, times of great joy and huge blessings in life where we find ourselves walking through a season of, of darkness, a season of rain. We feel like Eeyore with this cloud over our heads and life is beating down on us constantly difficulty, pain, whatever that may be, whether it's you feel like it's really good or you feel like it's really bad, you've got to hold on to the hope of the gospel and you got to hold on to it firmly and you got to stand in it and get your feet girded in that. If not, just like the Corinthians, Paul says, we believed in vain. Verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Remember, this is Paul. He's saying, I deliver to you what's of first importance, the same thing that I received, Paul says. Three things. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul had received that gospel message from Jesus himself in Acts chapter 9. And then he passes that same message on to anybody who would listen to him. Y'all tell him. Paul's standing on top of Affleck, screaming that the grave is in. That's just who he was. That was his DNA. And so these words that he writes in 1 Corinthians, they, they indicate this careful and methodical and literal way that Christian teachers passed on tradition from one generation to the next, from a granddaddy to a son to his son or daughter. And it's simple. Well, 
what is the word that Paul delivered to them? What is the gospel that Paul says is of first importance? He gives us, and he gives them, he gives us the central theme of the gospel. Last half of verse 3 and verse 4. Key passage in all of scripture for the defense of Christianity. Those three points that are of first importance. First of all, is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Without that little nugget, his death is completely worthless. And those of us that believe in him, we're still stuck in our sin. We're still hopeless. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. I could talk for six hours about that according to the scriptures. Let me just give you one, Isaiah chapter 53. Starting in verse 4. And I personally remember reading this passage in the spring of 2000. And I wasn't a Christian, but I was trying to figure out all this God stuff. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know any. I sure didn't know anything about this Jesus guy. I heard the name, but I didn't know anything about him. But I get to Isaiah chapter 53. Sometime in the spring of 2000. Let me read this to you. It says in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So this passage talks about somebody who is bearing the grief and the sorrows of somebody else. That he was afflicted. Verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And I remember reading that. And I'm like, what is this pierced stuff? I really didn't know at the time what that pierced thing was. But I knew that somebody was getting pierced somehow for somebody else's transgressions or sins or iniquities. It says he was crushed for our iniquities. That means he was he, he got dead for our sin or for our crimes or whatever. It said upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And I remember thinking, I don't understand that. Like what? So this person, whoever this is talking about, is getting hammered for somebody else's bad stuff, and somehow that brought peace to the, that person. And I'm just thinking, like, I don't even understand this. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. God has laid on whoever this is talking about, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He laid on that guy every bit of sin that's ever happened or ever will happen. And I just remember thinking, like, and this is seven or eight hundred years before Jesus. We talk about that seven or eight hundred years like it's nothing. Dude, that's a long time, seven or eight hundred years before any of this happened. And I tucked all of this Isaiah 53, I kind of tucked it away. And I didn't even realize any of it until I read in the New Testament. And I'm like, holy moly, that's who it's talking about. So he died according to our sin. He died uh, for our sins according to the scriptures, many scriptures. That's just one of them. And he, so even as clueless, totally clueless, as I was, and look, you may be sitting here today, and you may be as clueless as I was 20 years ago, but you can't erase the fact that this is recorded in the scriptures 800 years before the guy was even born, and it's clearly talking about him. So I knew that that passage was talking about somebody that's going to take the hit for the text says for our iniquities for us all, that his, whoever he is, is being crushed, is going to bring us peace. You know, Jesus' death was not like some unfortunate tragedy. 
it was purposeful, right? It was not purposeless. His death was purposeful. And the purpose was to satisfy the penalty, to satisfy a debt that you and I, nor anybody else, could ever handle on our own. And it was to reconcile us to God, to get us back into a right relationship with him. We talked about that word reconcile last week or the week before last. But all that means is that that's the peace that Isaiah was talking about. It makes a jacked up, messed up, broken relationship back right. That's the purpose of that death. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Because he made that relationship right. Your trespasses and my trespasses don't get counted against us. Even in the, the brutality and the horrificness and the suffering of the crucifixion, Jesus was not a victim. He was not some helpless little victim. He said it himself. John chapter 10. What did he say? He said, nobody takes it from me, but I lay it, I lay it down on my own. He said, I choose to do this. Who would do that? Like, who would do that? Would, would, would I do it? I love y'all, but I don't think I'd be doing that. Only God himself would do that. And it's love that is the reason. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all are working together, not only to condemn sin, but to, to find a way to cleanse the sin from us, to destroy sin's power over us. You do realize that sin, when you name the name of Christ, sin no longer has power over you. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you're going to be sinless. Of course you're not. But it does not hold this this chain and shackle over your life anymore. When we say no perfect people allowed here, we mean no perfect people allowed. We don't mean you got to be sinless. Like, are you kidding me? Put me in the front of the line, bro. I mean, that's not what we mean. We, sin just doesn't have its grip on you anymore because you've got a grip on Christ and he's got a grip on you, right? It's just like that. And he will never, ever let you go. First Peter chapter two, Peter says, he says he, he, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, purposelessly know that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And he says, by, 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 by the, his wounds were healed. He goes straight back to Isaiah 2. So that is like super good news, is it not? That was a question. Yes. So first thing. And Paul says of first importance is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then number two, he says he was buried. The fact of Christ's death is revealed in the fact of his burial. It happened in time, in real time. He really died and he was really buried. People have tried for years to discount his actual death like he didn't really die on that cross. That they got his body down and he really wasn't dead. But let me tell you something. The Roman crucifixion details... We're good at what they did. They beat him, and they knew just the line not to cross. Because they didn't want to kill him when they beat him. They wanted him to die on that cross, right? So they beat him right up to the point, 
and they nail him to the cross, and he died a physical, heart stopped beating, no air in his lungs. He was dead on the cross. A dead man went into that grave. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they, they, they prepare his body for burial. They place him in the tomb. So he was dead and he was buried. And then the third thing Paul says is that he was raised on the third day, again, in accordance with the scriptures. And he's raised permanently, forever. His father raises him from the dead. He came back to life from being a dead person in a tomb on the third day, as recorded in the Gospels. And this, Paul says, is in accordance with the scriptures. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus uses Jonah, the Old, Old Testament prophet Jonah, kind of as an analogy. And he says, for as Jonah is three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Psalm 16, a psalm of King David, looks, and it's written about a thousand years earlier, looks towards the resurrection. David writes this. A few minutes ago, I mentioned Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And again, that's just weeks after Jesus comes out of the grave alive. And, and the apostle Peter quotes David in Psalm 16. And he interpreted Psalm 16 and he applied it as a prophecy of the resurrection. Listen to what Peter says, Acts chapter 2. I don't know if that's any worship God or not. If it's not, write it down. Acts 2. Starting in verse 25, it says, For David says concerning him, well, who him? Jesus, Peter's. Obviously talking about Jesus, and he quotes Psalm 16. And Peter says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. And then he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. On the one hand, that psalm is expressing a hope in eternal life the assurance of eternal life. But on the other hand, David goes way beyond himself to somebody greater than him, one of his descendants, the Messiah, the Holy One. That's who David is talking about. Verse 27 goes way beyond anything David would ever claim for himself. He would never refer to himself as the Holy One. He would never claim that he would not be rotting in a grave. Never. Verse 28 says, You have made known... To me, the path of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter goes, Peter goes on, he comes out of quoting Psalm 16, and he says, Brothers, 3,500, 4,000 people out there he's talking to. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Y'all remember, this is six or seven weeks after the resurrection. Peter probably pointed, and he said, Right over there is David's tomb. Go dig it up. There's bones in there. It's right over there. Y'all, he's dead. David's dead and buried in rotten. David is the Jews' guy. But he's dead and he's buried and he's rotten. Rotting. Everybody's guy is dead. Buddha, Muhammad, the Mormon's guy. The, I don't telling you. Everybody's guy is dead except yours. He's alive. Today in 2022, he's alive. Yeah, amen. So he goes on in verse 30, he says, Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw 
David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We're all witnesses, Peter says. He's like, dude, you all saw him. You saw him. You had dinner with him. You talked to him. You prayed with him. You saw him walking around. He said, we all saw it. You got to know this. This guy that's, that's preaching this message of Pentecost, Peter, he's not some enlightened theologian in the 21st century. He's not some guy that has some hidden agenda. Look at verse 32. Guys, this just happened. Jump back to 1 Corinthians 15. He says, and that he appeared to Cephas, Jesus, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Again, Paul writing this to, to, the, to the Corinthians. He says, and most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. It only been 20 years. So a lot of those people, even 20 years later, that saw Jesus walking and talking and having dinner and breaking bread and, 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 and hanging out with, a lot of them are still alive, Paul says to them. And he says, then he appeared to James and then all the apostles. And last of all, to one untimely born, Paul says he also appeared to me. So he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then Paul says he appeared to Peter and a bunch of other folks, and then to Paul himself on that Damascus road. Y'all, the resurrection is what brings hope to our lives. It brings hope to our lives. Peter said in 1 Peter, he said, Jesus has caused us to be born again to a living hope through his resurrection. We're born again to a living hope. You and I have a living hope because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Again, man, when the storms of life start beating you down, not if, raise your hand if the storms of life have never beaten you down. Every one of us gets beat up. When, this, when that's happening, or life is just wearing us out, or even when life seems totally perfect, we got to hold just tight to the hope of the gospel. The resurrection brings us just tremendous hope, huge hope. And it's not hope just as we're walking the earth for 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Yeah, we have hope. We can walk in life with hope. That hope ought to have us treat people right. That hope ought to have us feeding the hungry and taking care of the widows and the orphans. That hope ought to, ought to have us telling the story to our kids, to our parents. To the people that we work with. But primarily that hope, really it focuses on the promise and the hope of a future inheritance with the Lord. And we wait, Scripture would say, in eager anticipation, in the hope of the resurrection that's coming one day. God wants us to wallow in it. He wants us to be bathed in that hope. Paul writes in Romans, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in that hope. Hope is the difference between an unbeliever and a believer. My personal, my life was hopeless. Somebody had asked me, what happens when you die? No, no matter. I'll be dead. That's a hopeless existence. If you're here today, and that's what you believe. When you die, it don't matter. You'll be dead. That's a hopeless way of looking at it. 
Like, what is the point? And there are a lot of us here that are believers today. And we're people that are filled up with hope. But we're also people who have past. Maybe we have past that are filled with tragedy. Maybe we have pasts that are filled with tragic mistakes. Mistakes that we maybe we can't take back. Big ones, little ones, maybe we did or said nasty stuff to our mothers and fathers, or we did and said nasty stuff to our kids or to our brothers or sisters. Maybe we spoke hateful things to our children. Some of us were probably addicted to drugs or alcohol or just addicts. Jesus crushes the chains. He rips those shackles off of any of that kind of addiction. Some of us, y'all, were unfaithful to our spouses. Maybe we cheated on our husband. We cheated on our wife. Maybe we're just, we were just cheats. He died for the cheats. Did he not? Some of us got booted out of school. Some of us got sent to the principal's office, got a whipping with a leg sand little paddle at Hardaway High School all the time. I don't know who that would be. 1982 and three. Some of us probably spent time in jail. I'm sure. Some of us got arrested and handcuffed, assault with a deadly weapon. But y'all, it was a BB gun. That was 1984. It really was good. Some of us have been filled with bitterness and hate our whole life. Some of us, crazy racism and whatever. But God. How many times is that phrase in Scripture? But God. But God saved us. But Jesus walked out of the grave alive. And not because we were decent people who needed a second chance. No, Scripture says we are totally depraved. We're not decent people. Scripture says our hearts are wicked. That every thought of our hearts is only evil continuously. That's what Scripture says about the human heart. But God, but the grave's hidden. But he walks out of the grave to save us. Y'all, there's a, there's a song that I love. It. It's an old song from the 60s. Confronted, I think, because he lives. There's some words in that song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Maybe I think I can face tomorrow, even if he didn't live, but I can't. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Raise your hand if you grew up, you were scared of death. I was petrified of death. From one second to the next, I got saved and I didn't fear death anymore. He says, All fear is gone because he lives. All fear's not gone because I'm a decent guy. All fear's gone because he walked out of the grave alive. Scripture says that life is worth living. Why? Because he lives. Y'all, because he lives. It really happened. In history, it really happened. I, my mama said to me, the night I got saved, do you actually believe that he walked out of the grave? No, she didn't say it that way. She said, do you actually believe that he came back to life. And I said, I, I do. As sure as I'm standing in front of you, I do. She started crying. 
Get out of my house. Y'all, he lives. And I'm going to tell you this. People don't die for something they know to be alive. Go read how the apostles died. Peter watched his wife crucified. People don't die for something they know to be alive. They saw him. They talked to him. They hung out with him. It really happened. It's not a myth. It's not something to make you feel better. Go watch the Passion of the Christ. Go cry like a baby. I don't know that I felt better after I watched that movie. I just knew that somebody loved me more than anybody ever in a million years could and took a beat for a, for a debt that was mine, for a debt that was yours. And so I'm telling you, man, if you, if you have never said yes to that offer, 1 Corinthians 15, it is so simple. He died for your sin according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised again. You repent of your sin and you believe that. Cry out to him, he'll save you. I promise you, he will save you. Let me pray. And if y'all want to, y'all go ahead and stand back up. And if you want to say yes to that, I'm going to just walk through a little short thing. I want you to say it to yourself. You can scream it out loud if you want to. You can come down here by the tires. We've got a prayer station over there, but really, y'all pray with me. Lord, today is the day where I'm going to turn away from my sin. Today is the day that I do believe that you really walked out of the grave alive, that you really came out of it because that is a game changer. So, Lord, I do believe that. And, Lord, I cry out to you right now, save me. Save me. Walk with me for the rest of my life. I will make you my Lord. I will serve you all the rest of the days of my life. Lord, just save me. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.